Let's pause and have a word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, just, just open our hearts today. Here it is Christmas. You sent your son Jesus, and not everybody knows about him. And there are some here right now, Lord, who just need to have their eyes and ears open. So I pray, Lord, you use me as, a, as an instrument of yours today to bring the word of truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's almost Christmas. 2022. Holy smokes. Given that reality, it's likely that you have asked the question of yourself or others have asked you the question, what do you need? <laughs> you know, what, what do you think you need more than anything else? I was asked that question by my son just the other week. Dad, what do, what do, you, what do, you, what do you want for Christmas? I said, oh, man, I, I don't know what I want for Christmas. Well, what do you, he changed it. He said, well, what do you need for Christmas? Well, I'm not sure I even need anything for Christmas. On the flip side of that, um, I'm buying presents for someone else, and I'm sure you've asked yourself the question, do they really need this? <laughs> I mean, is this something that they're really going to use, or is it just going to lay on the shelf and just hang in the closet because it's really very meaningless to them? So what do you need? Um, more importantly, do you even know what you really need? For example, if you're desperately sick and you go to the doctor because you don't recognize, you, you don't, don't go to the doctor because you don't recognize you have that need, and if you keep procrastinating and putting it off, what is going to happen is that you're going to be in trouble. And if you wait too long, it, it, it could be deadly. Or you're planning a trip to go overseas and, and uh, you have your travel itinerary, you got your passport, you got everything together and you don't realize that in 30 days your passport's about to expire. And when you get to the airport and, and you don't realize that, that you have that need, that you're going to have a very bad day. Because you need to know what you need in order to get everything in order. And the same is true spiritually in your life with God. You need to know what you really need. So what does God say that you need this morning to get your spiritual life in order? That's the question we're going to answer as we get into this text this morning. Uh, we have been in this Advent series here at uh, Riverstone and entitled it The Dawn of Light. We've been looking at the first two chapters of Luke. Today is the fourth in the series that centers upon the messenger and his birth. And you'll find that in Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Luke 1. The, if you don't have a Bible, the ushers are come forward. They're going to hand you a Bible. I know this because I've come here enough times now that I know that this is what they do. And if you don't have a Bible, you are welcome to take that home with you. Isn't that right? Yes. Okay. So the messenger is about to be born. It's about the messenger. Not because uh, he, his, name is, his name is John. Um, he's the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, he's otherwise known as John the Baptist. Not because he's a Baptist, but because he is one who baptized the nation of Israel, the people that came to him for the forgiveness of their sins and pointed them to the Messiah. So John's birth fulfills the promise in the Old Testament. And the last prophetic words of the Old Testament are from the prophet 
Malachi in about 400 B.C. And in several places, Malachi speaks of this coming prophet who is going to usher in the Messiah. Such as in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. So after 400 years of silence, something new and glorious is bursting onto the scene. And it begins with this couple. This couple in Luke chapter 1. Now Brant introduced him to us a few weeks ago. Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are now very old. They had prayed for children for many years and perhaps by now they'd even given up praying. We don't really know. How old were they? Probably 50, 60, maybe 70. But by way of review, Zechariah was a priest. His duty was to one time go into the holy place of the temple to offer sacrifice on behalf of all the people. And while there, he suddenly, suddenly saw the angel Gabriel who appeared to him. Now, Gabriel told Zechariah that his prayers had been heard, that his wife was now about to give birth, and she was going to bear him a son, and it would be no typical son. His son would be named John, and he would be a prophet of God in fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. So Zechariah doubted that this would happen, being advanced in years for himself and his wife. So the Lord disciplined him making him mute, unable to speak until the birth of this child. So we pick up this remarkable story after nine months, after nine months. So look at your Bible, Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. So they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and he wrote his followers as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those who were living around them and all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea and all who heard them kept, on, kept them in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. So in Luke 1, 57 through 80, that portion, large portion, can be broken down into three truths. If you're ever going to get your spiritual life in order, God makes it very clear. These are three things you need to know about God. The first truth is here in verses 57 to 66, where we see that God named the boy. God named John. And the name John means God is merciful. And Brian defined mercy last week as judgment being held back. Mercy is when God holds back his judgment from us. We need. God's mercy. So number one, John's name declares God is merciful. 
John was sent by God to prepare the way for all the people to know God. And what God deems important for you to know is that God's merciful. And instead of pouring out judgment, he withholds judgment and he pours out grace. And Zechariah and Elizabeth knew this oh so well because she was about to give birth to a son in her old age. And everyone knows about it. So it comes to the eighth day, according to the law, when they circumcised the boy and they publicly announced the name. Now, it was, it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to be called Zechariah after his father. But with Zechariah unable to speak, Elizabeth, to the people's astonishment, says, no, his name is John. But the people questioned her. But Elizabeth, nobody in your family is named John. But that was the tradition of the day, his name, to name the son after the father. Didn't make sense. She must be mistaken. So, so they turn to Zechariah. What do you say? Oh, that's right. He's mute. Oh, so he can't speak. Now, some commentators say he was deaf as well as mute because here they make signs sign, uh, with their hands trying to get him to understand. Uh, maybe it was like, you know, two syllables and sounds like, you know, I don't know. Nobody had that. I don't know if they had that game back then or not. I don't even know if they have it anymore today. So with hands, he asked then for a writing tablet. And there's great debate among commentators today as to what that was. Scholars disagree as to whether it was a Samsung Galaxy tablet, whether it was a Microsoft Soft Surface Pro. They're really not sure. But likely, likely, it was a board of wood with wax covering the surface that John would scratch the name John. But he didn't just scratch the name John. He scratched the name John is his name. And in Greek, John appears first in that phrase, in that clause. So that's there for emphasis. So there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. John is his name. Zechariah finally got the message and believed God. And John is his name. Why John? Because God wants you and me to know he's merciful. When Zechariah scratched his name, the people scratched their heads, but not for very long because at once, at once, immediately, verse 64, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. The sound barrier had finally been broken after 400 years of silence from God. It's a new day. It's a new dawn for the people of God. And what was Zechariah saying? Instead of saying, oh man, man, these last nine months, they have been miserable. I can't tell you how bad they... No, he praised God. And when God has done something great in your life that you've been waiting for, it's not time to complain to everybody about it. It's time for you to praise God for it. Verse 63. They were all astonished. And then in verse 65, fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard, he's starting to get the point. All who heard them kept them in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Now, Tiger Woods was just two years old when he appeared on the Michael Douglas show. How many of you, how many of you even saw that? You can go back into the archives and you, and you can see it for yourself. Two years old, and he did some amazing feats with his golf clubs, especially his, his putter. 
things that a two-year-old would have no capability of doing, and yet he did it. And Tiger Woods, they, they asked, what would he grow up to be? Well, we, we know what he'd grown up to be. One of the greatest golfers that ever played the game. But nothing in comparison to what the people of Judea witnessed about this, this John. Because it wasn't natural talent that they were witnessing. This was supernatural. And they all knew that it was God's hand that was in it. You see, it all started with that mysterious angelic visitation in the temple. And then Zechariah comes out and he, he can't speak. He can't, can't, can't. Do you remember Zechariah? He went into the temple nine months ago. He couldn't talk and it comes out. It's amazing. It's, uh, what's, what's going on? And then Elizabeth, Elizabeth, she's in her night. She's, she's going to give a baby. That's impossible. She's too old to have a baby. You know that as well as I. And then you're going to name him John. Wait. Why the heck would you name him John? It doesn't fit. It doesn't go along with what we believe. All this was piquing their interest as God prepares them for something new. And then Zechariah immediately, suddenly, out of nowhere, he speaks for the very first time and directs all of his words to the praise of God, to the God of glory. More than enough to get all the people talking around Judea. John's name declares God is merciful. Remember, God named John, John. This was God's idea. And it was God's idea because he wants you and me to know he is merciful and gracious. And that's one of the things God wants you to know about him. That no matter what you've come to believe about him in your life, because of the circumstances of your life, the hardships, the disappointments, the heartache. Contrary to all you surmised in your difficult life of what God might be, God wants you to know, first and foremost, he's merciful and he's compassionate and he cares about you. But there's more to know. And it's revealed through what Zechariah spoke in the remaining portion of this chapter. So we move from the narrative, from the narrative part, which is always fun. Now we go to the prophecy. This was Zechariah's prophetic song, known in the Latin as the Benedictus, which means blessing. Uh, similar to what we learned last week, Mary had a, a song in Latin. It, it meant magnificent. The difference here is that Mary's song, her magnificent, was talking about God's about God's um, uh, praise to God, praising for who he, who he is. And the Benedictus, which is Zechariah's song soon following after, is, talks about God's works, what he has done, what he's going to do. So with that in mind, we read this. In the first half of Zechariah's song, we learn a second truth that God intentionally wants you and I to know in order to help us get our spiritual life in order. God is merciful, and number two, God keeps his promises. Even as Benjamin said earlier before that song, he, God is faithful and true. He keeps his promises. Galatians, we read, in the fullness of time, meaning at the perfect time, at the right time, God sent forth his son born of a woman. God's visitation and coming to the earth, he fulfills all the promises made to Israel. And you need to know what God says he will do 
he will accomplish because he's true. It will happen. He's not slow about his promises. He keeps his word. And some of us here this morning, just, we just need to know that. We need to be reminded of that. So you, so you maintain hope in your life. Look at verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear." In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Verse 69. Verse 69 says it's a horn of salvation. This powerful and mighty salvation and deliverance is for his people. And it's all through the house of David. Which indicates here he's talking about Messiah. In verse 70 he goes on to refer to the Old Testament prophets. Who spoke extensively about the coming Messiah and his mission. Zechariah is remembering God's works and in keeping his promises regarding Messiah. Now notice in verse 71 how Zechariah at first characterized the mission of the Messiah. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now it's interesting he doesn't say, he doesn't speak here about salvation. About being saved from our sin. If you're a Jesus follower this morning... That's what you would first think of when you think of salvation, is it not? If I were to ask you right now, why did Jesus come? What was his mission? You'd likely say he came to die on the cross and pay the price for our sin. And that pretty well sums it up. But that's not what Zechariah references here. He's not talking about spiritual salvation, but political salvation. And what's interesting is that in the first part of this prophecy, this is what Jesus will do when he comes a second time. He comes the first time to die on the cross. He's coming a second time to bring political salvation and deliverance for the nation of Israel. So this first part of the prophecy, Zechariah is leapfrogging over the cross, although he will come back to it in a minute, but he's leapfrogging past the cross and talks about how Jesus is going to come and destroy all the enemies of the nation of Israel. So in verse 71, it's a prophecy about Israel. That is yet to be fulfilled at what we've come to know as Armageddon. It's not yet to come, but many prophecies in the Old Testament and in the New Testament say as much that it's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Jesus came the first time as a babe in a manger because of the mercy of God and the grace of God. He's coming a second time to bring judgment upon the earth. Look at verse 72. To show mercy toward our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah is thanking God for holding fast to his covenant, for keeping his promises, for bringing them to pass. He's praising God even ahead of time. But he will do it. And in his mind, it's as good as already done. Because that's how much he believed God. So in the first part of the prophecy, he blesses God for a broader work of God 
for the nation Israel. Now we come to the second part of Zechariah's song. It becomes more personal. Here he transitions his attention from the broad strokes of the Messiah for the nation. And he speaks about his child, his son, John. And here in this third part, here we see the third truth that we need to know about God to get our spiritual life in order. God's merciful. God keeps his promises. And God's work lights the way to peace with God. John's work lights our way to peace with God. Look at verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here, Zechariah, verse 77, speaks of spiritual salvation. And we know it's spiritual salvation because the next phrase qualifies it. Qualifies it by or through the forgiveness of their sins. John's work lights our way to peace with God giving us the knowledge of salvation that comes through the forgiveness of our sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Let that sink in. Jesus Christ came, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of God. Those words, tender mercy, speaks of the bowels of a person, the deepest part of God's being. That's an amazing truth to lay hold of this morning. Regular people, when they, when they go to think about God, what do they think of? They first think about God's wrath, and they think about God's anger, and they think about hell. But what they don't realize is that all that sin is, is a problem that we've brought on because of ourselves. But God's response to our sin is tender mercy. And that's why he sent John to prepare and point the way to Jesus, who also was sent by God to die on the cross and pay the price for our sin. Tender mercy. The innermost heartfelt unction of God the Father in response to your and my sin is tender mercy. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. There's a new dawn. There's a new beginning. The whole basis of our faith is that God himself would visit us and provide a way. God would visit man. That's the meaning of Advent. That's Emmanuel, God with us. The purpose of his visit, verse 79, this is the purpose of his visit. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You're not somewhere way out there. You're here with me, next to me, in me, surrounding me. Our world is wrapped in darkness of sin. But the light of the world is Jesus. 
Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. Peace. They're synonymous. And those who trust in Jesus, those who are born again, their first consciousness is a deep-seated peace with God. Why? Because we're not running from God anymore. Because you're not struggling with God anymore. Because you're not fighting God anymore. But your first consciousness is peace and rest. And when you go home and you put your head in the pillow, you know you're at peace for the very first time. The war's over. The striving is over. I have peace with God. He leads us into the path of peace. Are you willing to follow his lead? I have a, I have a video for you to watch this morning. It's a, it's a Christmas story. It's called The Man and the Birds. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's going to play for you now. Please pay particular attention. Let me tell you a story about a man, a good man, a family man. Oh, he was not a Scrooge. He was kind, generous, and upright in his dealings with others. But he just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife, but I'm not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay at home, but that he would wait up for them. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. As he sat in his fireside chair and read the newspaper, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, and then another. At first he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against the house, but when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter, had tried to fly through his living room window. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze, so he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes and tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. He figured food would entice them, so he hurried back to the house, fetched breadcrumbs, and sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. He tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them and waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. And then he realized they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I'm a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? 
And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird and talk to them and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind, and he stood there, listening to the bells, pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. Without Christ, we sit in darkness, and we're lost, and we're confused, and we cannot find our way. So God became a man, and Jesus walked among us to show us the way to God. Jesus himself said, well, I am the way. Whereas we were once aliens and enemies and at enmity with God, now we have seen a great light, and we have found the way to God through the gift of his son, Jesus, through confession of sin. Have you ever received the Christmas gift and asked yourself the question, why would someone give me this? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't need this. I don't like this. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm sure you wouldn't say that out loud if someone gave you a gift, but you know what I mean. And some of you may be sitting there this morning, you're asking yourself, why is he telling me this stuff about a horn and sunrises and names? It all seems pointless. I don't really need this. Jay, just tell me something about my life to help me to live better and get on better and feel better about myself. And I understand that sentiment, but I want you to remember something. Making your life better doesn't begin with you. It begins with God. His mercy, his promises, his peace. By believing in his son Jesus, who God, because of his tender mercy, sent him to us to rescue us, to show us a way out of the darkness of death to the light and peace. You don't need a fire brigade to come to your house if your house isn't on fire. And you wouldn't want a doctor to administer an IV drip if you were feeling perfectly healthy. Likewise, until you are truly aware of your need for forgiveness, God's story of mercy and grace really doesn't mean much. But the truth is, God says all have sinned, including you and me. And we've all come short of the glory of God. And the wages of yours and my sin is, the, is judgment and death. 
And we all deserve it because we've all sinned. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Will you confess your sin to him today? What is it that you really need? God says what you need more than anything else this morning is his mercy, his promises, and his peace. John shows you the way to get your spiritual life in order. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. And seek his forgiveness. And experience the peace that he gives. There is peace found in having your deepest need met with God. Mercy there was great. Grace was free. Pardon there? <sighs> Multiplied to me. There my burdened heart found liberty at Calvary. Would you pray with me? I'd like everybody to bow their heads this morning. And if God's been speaking to your heart today about getting your spiritual life in order, there's no better time to start than today after having met with him. So with your head bowed and every one of us, every one of us here have sinned to confess to him. And I, I suggest you begin doing that right now. It's the time for you to do that. But you may be one here who has never before confessed your sin to God. He's cleared the way for you to do that right now by simply saying, Father God, forgive me of my sin. I've been living angry at you. I've been blaming you. And today I know and believe that you're, you're merciful and you're gracious. Lord, I need your mercy. I need your grace. Please forgive me of my sin. I want to put my trust in Jesus as my Savior. Please, Jesus, give me your peace. Thank you. Now, your heads are all still bowed. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time in your life, would you just raise your head and look at me, meet eyes with me, and you know that I'll be praying for you. Thank you, Father. You are merciful. You keep your promises. You are true to your word. And you offer peace to everyone here today in this crazy, mixed up, upside down world. May we experience your peace this Christmas season. And it's only in you that we find rest and peace. And it's in Jesus' name that we prayed. And all God's people said, Amen.